ain't no regular Taz show. It's the Friday Throwback Snack. <laughs> Friday Throwback Snacks? Mm. Every Friday, Taz takes an inside look at a classic match. <laughs> this is how you kick off a weekend. All right, all right. What's up? What's going on? It's Friday or Saturday or Sunday, whatever day it is for you, but... Friday, uh, throwback Snack Jones coming at you right now with a real uh, big-time throwback. We're going way back, and I'll tell you about that in a second. We're going, well, woken before it was broken, or broken before he was woken. I'll get into that in a second. What's going on, guys? This is the Taz Show, and this is your throwback snack. Um, we're going back HPM Jones here. Get into that in a second. First, I want to say thank you, everybody who's downloading this, right? Or who downloaded this right now or subscribe to the Taz Show on iTunes or Spotify or TuneIn. Or maybe you grabbed it on the radio.com app or TazShow.com. Wherever you're grabbing this episode, this podcast of the Taz Show, you know, it's much appreciated. And uh, I want to let you guys know uh, that, you know, I love all the love and, and, well, I was going to say some other stuff I can't get. Typical routine, but everything's good. Everything's good. Everything's nice. Everything's nice. So, and by the way, before I move on with this particular episode um, and talk about what we're doing in this episode with an HPM, an old school deal, um, I want to say thanks to everybody who not only has been subscribing, downloading, listening to me and the Taz Show for over 540-something episodes, but even all the fans who are jumping on Taz and the Moose on CBS Sports Radio and on Sirius XM Channel 206 every day, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, uh, covering mainstream sports, myself and Mark Malusis. I appreciate that very much. I mean, it's, it's cool to hear a lot of you guys call the show uh, with Moose and I, a lot of wrestling fans from the We Over Nation. It's much appreciated. I was wondering once I jumped over to that realm of doing, you know, full-time covering sports uh, on a national radio perspective, uh, how many wrestling fans would jump over and check out the show or be a regular listener to the show. I appreciate it. A lot of you guys have and are doing that. So that's uh, that's really cool, seriously. So this episode, all right, so this is going to be a throwback to a human podcast machine in the HPM days. Big time, way back, one of the earliest HPMs, maybe episode three, I think it was, if I remember correctly, Matt Hardy was the guest. So we're going to go back in this episode and listen to Matt Hardy with yours truly on the human podcast machine. Now, this is Matt Hardy before he was broken, and now in WWE, he's woken. So this was way <laughs> before all of that. So um, I think you guys will like it if you didn't hear it already. Uh, if you did hear it already, check it out again because you might, you know, I haven't, I have not heard this since I talked to Matt in this particular episode that you're going to hear in a little while here. Um, Matt was on a second time. It wasn't HPM. It wasn't even podcasting. It was a Taz show. And by then he was broken. This is when he was in TNA. But this one you're going to hear is way before that. I believe at the time we were both in TNA. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think he was in there by now. See, that's what I mean. I didn't even listen to this yet, but I'm going to check it out just like you're going to check it out. Uh, but real quick about Matt Hardy. As you know, uh, he's in WWE now, and he's doing the Woken gimmick, which I'm so happy for that he, he, you know, he's not doing the Hardy Boy thing with his brother, and they, they let him become 
this character he was um, in TNA. So I'm looking forward to what they do with him going forward. They've done some cool stuff with him and Bray Wyatt. I'm personally, I'm not crazy about what they've, that he's going to be in the Andre the Giant Battle Royal. Um, I'm glad he's getting an opportunity to do something at uh, WrestleMania, but I, I wish they would have done something different with him. I'm not crazy about that. But got to give it a chance, see what happens, see how deep he gets in that. I don't like that they just throw him in that thing. I think his character's a little too deep to be in something like that. And they got they obviously invested a lot of money in what they've done um, thus far uh, with the Woken character. So I, I, I just... You know, I think that it's better uh, not to rip it until they <laughs> keep doing something here with it. So I don't want to just, you know, come out and be negative Nelly Jones. You know, that's not my style. You guys know that. So this is going to be a good one. You guys can enjoy it. But before we get to it, of course, I got to let you know about, you know, my good friends over at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. So support for the Taz Show comes directly from them. Uh, my good friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. See, they know that the home plays a huge role in your life and your family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. And Rocket Mortgage gives you that confidence you need uh, when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. And it's simple. You guys know that. It lets you understand all the details to be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you and or your family. So it don't matter if it's your first home or your 10th home, you're going to get a transparent online process that give you the confidence to make an informed decision that's what rocket mortgage by quicken loans is it's convenient uh, uh the, the trusted partners allow you to understand uh and that you can just share your financial information with rocket mortgage uh at a touch of a button so it's pretty cool man uh, no paperwork no aggravation nothing uh, you get a real mortgage approval in minutes which is unheard of so uh rocket mortgage by quicken loans apply simply understand fully and mortgage confidently to get started, please go to rocketmortgage.com slash Taz. That's rocketmortgage.com slash T-A-Z. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLSconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. Rocket Mortgage. All right. Going to go to break real quick. Other side of break, you guys will get a real big time old school, almost, what, three and a half years, three years, whatever the heck it was, human podcast machine, HPM, one of my first ones I recorded Matt Hardy, before he was woken and before he was broken. Uh, Taz Show continues. Be right back. From the Red Hook section of Brooklyn, New York. He's a three-time world heavyweight champion who ruled by intimidation. If you can survive, if I let you. Taz would pick up guys nearly twice his size and drop them on their heads. He is the human suplex machine. Now he's bringing his no-nonsense New York swagger to the podcast world. This is Taz. The mood is about to change. The human podcast machine. All right, all right. Welcome, everyone, inside the Human Podcast Machine. My name is Taz. Hello, and thank you, first and foremost, for downloading and subscribing 
and making the show so popular. Uh, it, it, you know, we're in week three here. Things are rolling, and I appreciate it very much. Uh, everybody's working hard behind the scenes here at Play It. I mean, everybody's uh, uh, pushing the right buttons and 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 doing all the right stuff and putting the right legwork in, uh, including myself. But at the end of the day, it comes down to you guys downloading. Uh, or subscribing to the show, and uh, and I I, I got to thank my first two guests from from week one of the debut of the Human Podcast Machine and the Rated Loss Superstar Edge, awesome guests. Right after that, we had RVD, the whole effing show, tore it up on my show, which is great. And in this particular episode, we have Matt Hardy, who's it's just I got an interesting topic. I want to talk to Matt about, and it's about promoters, about promoters putting wrestlers in danger. And I thought Matt Hardy is the perfect guy for this, not just his success as a wrestler and all the years he's been in the business, but it's just, he's also, he and Jeff, they've promoted shows, you know, so so he's been on kind of both sides of the fence with that. So, and also a guy who's done so much with tables, eyes, and chairs, and, and crazy matches, has that extreme style, and, and well, you know, uh, I, I just think he's the right guy to find out about promoters putting you in danger. I think fans might want to know about that. I hope you guys do. I know I'm interested in it. I've had some situations in my career as a wrestler, so that's going to be our topic for the most part, but just getting into Matt and his life, his career, and all that jazz, uh, uh, he's a great interview. I'm looking forward to that. That's coming up shortly right here in this episode, and uh, I just also briefly want to talk about the state of wrestling right now. I mean, you've heard other people on podcasts or shows say, it's a great time to be a wrestling fan. I agree. Gotta say, I agree. There's just so much opportunities to watch pro wrestling on television uh, every day of the week. Uh, you know, I, I can speak for in the United States. I mean, from the WWE to TNA to Lucha Underground to Ring of Honor to to to, to uh, New Japan now with their access thing and stuff like that. I mean, there's just so much stuff to watch. So much programming. Uh, it's um. It's a great time, and then in the podcast world, as I said before out here, there's there's a lot of op, uh, um, options for excellent wrestling podcast, and I urge you listen to as many as you want. Hopefully, you enjoy mine also, but I urge you to listen to guys that are credible. That's all I'm saying. Guys that have been there, guys that have done that, guys who have been behind the scene, guys who have sacrificed in the business, made a living in the business, uh, who've bled, who sweat. Who uh, who've broken bones or who've worked in uh, you know someone like Jr. Jr. was never a wrestler, okay, but Jr. is so credible because of all he's done behind the scenes in the business and as you know the greatest broadcaster and play by play guy in my opinion in the history of the business. So what what better? I mean, a guy like Jr. You know, I mean, it's just it's it's great stuff. I mean, and obviously you know from Jericho to Austin. I mean, these guys are Colt Cabana. I think he's the pioneer of of doing po- wrestling podcasts. I mean, so it's like you know, I I I think there's a lot of options out there. Um, and and it, it, you know, I I'm a competitive guy. I look at it as competition, but healthy, fun competition. It's great. There's plenty of room for all of us. You know, I, I, I'm fans of the shows I just mentioned, me personally. Um, um, I, you know, I think there are some wrestling reporters that do really good shows. I think, you know, people that are fans that never been in the ring, yeah, as long as they're 
uh, they're not loaded with double standards, and 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 they have a a strong opinion, and and they have some insight, and and they long in the tooth of being fans of the business. I think those are good. I do, I do. I, I think some of the reporters. I mean, for some of the wrestling uh, uh, websites, from from the observers to the, to the PW insiders to the the pro wrestling torches. I, I think this is all good stuff because those guys, like you know, uh, 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 Dave Meltzer or Dave Shearer, Mike Johnson, Wade Keller. These guys have been around. These guys have been around recovering wrestling. They haven't been around locker rooms and stuff like that, and that's not a knock on them, but they've covered the business. I don't agree with most of those guys' opinions. <laughs> I got to tell you, I don't. I, I'm not. I, 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 but I respect what they're doing and their passion to cover the business for as long as they've covered the business. So that's, that's what I do respect. I, I do. I, you know, I, I like some of them more than others. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. But anyway. I digress. Uh, and also, the last thing I want to talk about is how cool is it that the WWE, you know, their champion is Brock Lesnar, a big, nasty, rugged, credible MMA background amateur wrestling guy. Impact Wrestling TNA champion, same deal. MMA guy, big, rugged, nasty guy with an amateur wrestling background, MMA success. I think it kind of shows the influence that MMA, mixed martial arts, has had on the pro wrestling business, sports entertainment as a whole. And I humbly say, humbly, I don't want this to come off as self-serving, please. I know that I was one of the first guys to get guys to tap out and incorporate judo and jiu-jitsu spots, moves, and throws into my work many years ago in the early 90s uh, and suplexes and stuff like that. I mean, uh, uh, I, I think that I, I'm, not, I'm not saying I was like ahead of all these guys because I wasn't the only guy doing suplexes back then. Guys like the Steiners were doing suplexes in a great way, and 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 so were uh, so many Japanese wrestlers like, um, you know, jeez, uh, Hase, and you can go on and on. I mean, Fujinami, all these guys, Fujinami with arm bars. I mean, there's just so many different Japanese wrestlers that have done that when I was in my prime. You know, and those guys are in their prime. But uh, I, I and the Iron Sheik, you got to look at the Sheik as one of the first. The first human suplex machine, and I've told Sheik, is Sheiky, baby. You know, he, he's definitely, you know, the first human suplex machine is the Iron Sheik. No doubt about that. Um, but anyway, I'm just saying, I thought it was kind of cool to just mention that Brock Lesnar, champion in WWE. Bobby Lashley, champion, Impact Wrestling. I mean, there's, there's definitely no similarities between those two cats. I mean, an MMA has had a big-time influence on our business, so which is a good thing. I think it's good for you fans and good for me as a fan, too, to, to check that out and see how they kind of run parallel at times and how the influence is there. And you see some some of that flavor with MMA. You see some of the more flavor, uh, more uh, personalities that are charismatic in the MMA world that are getting more attention because they can cut a pro wrestling promo. You know, so I mean, I think that that right there is pretty cool. You know, so all right, look, let me wrap this open up. Let's get into Matt Hardy. We'll be right here on the Human Podcast Machine. That is next. Hey, the Human Podcast Machine will be right back. All right, so here we go. We have V1 himself. Version 1, Matt Hardy. Matt, what's going on, brother? Hey, man. How are you, Taz, man? Happy to be here chatting with you. All right. Good, buddy. Good, good, man. Listen, so, you know, I was doing my show prep because, you know, I'm an esteemed professional, as you know. I'm a big show prep maniac. And and I got to tell you, I, I'm looking into the, the great career you had 
in sports entertainment slash wrestling that you still have, not only as a tag team wrestler, obviously as a singles wrestler also, and your great success you've had with your brother Jeff at all, and, and your success in Ring of Honor, TNA, and of course WWE. I, dude, I didn't, you know, I knew you, you had a lot of championships, and I'm like, wow, he's got a lot of championships here. I mean, like, you were a tag team champion, a WCW tag team champion, which I didn't know you were, uh, one time with your brother. You were a tag team, world tag team champion seven times, six with Jeff Hardy, your brother, and once with MVP, another thing I didn't know, and uh, WWE Cruiserweight champion, U.S. champion, European champion, hardcore champion, and we have something in common. You were an ECW champion. There you have it. Uh, a little bit uh, of a different version of ECW, but yeah, I guess it still goes down the record books that way nowadays. But uh, yeah, it's uh, there was a few titles here and there. You know, I'm very proud, especially of the stuff myself and my brother did as a team. When we grew up, and I'm sure you grew up, man, as a huge fan of wrestling, of as course, well, especially in your neck of the woods. There, yep. Uh, down here, you know, my brother and I, we wanted to one day be the uh, you know WWF Tag Team Champions one time, and anything we did past that was extra credit. So I think we did okay for ourselves. No, you guys. Did- Great. I mean, I, I mean, worldwide for decades. I mean, the, the, the Hardy Boys, the success, which is still rocking, and I don't think it's ever going to die. And 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 it's so impressive that not just your success with Jeff as a team, but the the success and the high level of success as individual competitors. That in itself is so impressive. Was that something that you guys had planned as you got a little bit older? You know, I don't think we necessarily planned that. I think, you know, our goal was to always be a team. But obviously, you know, once you get into the business and, and, and you're really you're living it and you're making a career out of it, that's something that, that definitely comes to the forefront. You know that you've got you to gotta continue to evolve, and you can't just be a tag team forever. So one of, the, one, of the, one of the best things that I ever did whenever I split from Jeff was just changing the direction of my persona because Jeff truly is more of the Hardy Boys guy. Jeff truly is the, the, the fearless guy that's a daredevil that will do anything. And for me to put a little bit of spin, like when I was doing the, the version one and the Mattitude, to be a little arrogant, a little cocky, a little delusional, just be a lot more entertaining and, and be a little bit of a, of a bad guy in some aspects. And, and that's truly where I, I started finding my niche. And, and just to find those different singles characters and for both of us to have two very definite different characters and then be able to come back together as a team and still shine as one, we're, we're both really proud we're both able to do that. Well, you should be proud, obviously. And, and I got to tell you, speaking of being a little bit more of a heel, per se, with, with yourself, I got to tell you, I mean, I follow you on Twitter at, at Matt Hardy Brand and, and, and I I, I, you and I have something in common with that, man, because I, I go at fans sometimes on there. I know you do, too. And I got to tell you, I, I, I respect that. Uh, not just the machismo of a wrestler, but I respect it because I think fans, in their heart of hearts, they respect that because you're interacting with them. And if you didn't give a poop about them, you wouldn't say nothing negative or positive at them. I agree, and, and and you know that that's uh, caring about anything is 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 that there's love and hate involved. You know, you, if you're apathetic towards something, then 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 it doesn't mean anything. And, and I love it sometimes when something comes along and there's someone that's like even a troll or someone to to, to blast me, or whatever. I love it when they lost me, uh, you know, lost me a pitch and I can knock it out of the park and, and get <laughs> went back. And and I enjoy doing it, and and I'm sure you do as well because it entertains all the people that are your diehard fans as well. So it's just twi- Twitter's one of those things. It's a great tool and it's a great forum for interaction and uh, if you're on Twitter and you're getting your feelings hurt, it's probably not the best place for you to be. It's a good place to go and be entertained. <laughs> That's a good point because yeah, the sensitivity level is not high. Well, it is high, I should say. But I, I, you know, see guys in the business that have like tons of followers, like you know, guys from our world, and they'll tweet like 
once every two weeks. I mean, like, uh, I'm watching a football game. Okay, great. I don't get it. Then don't even have the Twitter account. Get involved with your followers. I totally agree. I mean, it's almost like one of those things. It is a way for you to reach your consumer. It's a way for you to reach your fans. And it's a way for you to grow your own personal brand. I mean, and, and people thought I was crazy when I first put that Twitter name. But, you know, even on my own now, even though I've worked for other places, Ring of Honor, TNA, I mean, I have my own shop. I mean, I, it does great business itself. And, I, and I, I'm doing better than a lot of the guys that you see in WWE right now, especially from a financial standpoint. And it's because I, I bust my ass and I work hard to interact with my fans and get out there, let them know what I'm doing. Because it is. Every every time you tweet, you're like you're, you're investing in yourself. You're putting equity in yourself. And it's real smart. you got to learn how to be an entertainer, just like you said. Totally agree, dude. And, and, and again, the topic we're going to discuss here in seconds is promoters putting wrestlers in danger. And we're talking about social media here, which is a segue into the topic of Promoters putting wrestlers in danger, or how much has happened, or not. Maybe it hasn't happened to you. I know it's. I kind of want to, you know, bounce some stuff off you too. But you're in a, a different world too. Not just as a singles competitor in your career, not just as a tag team wrestler in your career, but with Omega. I mean, maybe you could give for those that aren't familiar with what, what, what you and Jeff have done there uh, through the years. Uh, just a quick overview synopsis of that, and maybe that's a good tie-in to have you ever put somebody in danger? You know, that, that wrestle. You know what I mean? That type of thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, uh, Omega basically was, uh, when I was young, and, and myself and my brother, we were looking to get out there, we, you know, we'd get in the car and we'd drive 12 hours up to New York, or we'd drive up to Boston, or we'd, we'd go wherever we had to go, Philly, to try and get our names up there. Because I remember back when, when we were first coming up, you know, the, the big buzz was like being in the, in the magazines. Yep. And it was all the guys in the Northeast that was getting the, the magazine. Uh, the magazine press. I remember a guy who was coming along with us, Reckless Youth. We're like, oh my God, this Reckless Youth guy. Wait, well, Matt, hold on. Wait, I got to stop you. Now I got to stop. Because, uh -huh. see, now this is now this is a whole other topic. Uh -huh. Because I'm going to tell you, I got me being a guy from the Northeast, we felt like, man, those dudes from the South, they get, I mean, if you want to get booked in the NWA back then, you had to be from the South. They weren't booting, booking Yankees. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, right. we felt like you guys had all the publicity and everything. I, I've never heard that. A wrestler from the South, say that about a wrestler from the North, that you thought back then that we got all the pub in the magazines. It, it, it's funny because we, we thought it was, and it is kind of like a double-edged sword. I just remember, like, it seemed like all the guys that were in the magazines were the indie guys up there. You know, at our time, the indie guys that had ends at the magazines and new people there. So we're like, well, maybe if we get in this area and we kiss some of these people's ass. Wait, you saying this, oh, hold on, you saying this politics and wrestling, is that what you're saying? Uh, there is. I know no. totally, but there is. No. <laughs> but but as we tried to expand our career, uh, I started promoting shows. Uh, you know, I, I was 17, 18 years old. I uh, I would put on a, a, a terrible ass suit. I would take my little briefcase. I would go in uh, different businesses. I would get sponsors. Uh, you know, I would print the posters. I would hang the posters. I would book the talent. I would book the show. And uh, I really didn't have any clue what I was doing. It was totally learning on the fly. Uh, we worked with uh, Italian Stallion and George South. Yep. And we kind of got a little bit of the fundamental psychology from those guys. But we started doing these shows, and then they became something that was unique, something special, almost along the lines of, like, you know, what became Ring of Honor or PWG now, a bunch of young yeah. athletic guys out there doing a bunch of crazy hotspots. Yeah. You know, and, and, and along the way, we, we tried to learn a little bit of psychology and how to actually work. But, but there's definitely times where I, I look back as a promoter where I know we went in there with our first ring. <laughs> we bought this ring from a guy who was doing shows 
at different fairs and carnivals, and the ring was half trampoline, half real ring. Oh. It was actually half trampoline, half concrete is what it felt like. So we bought his ring, we, we converted it, we made it into a, a regulation ring, and the ring was so complex putting it together, but it also had different pieces of plywood and boards, and it, was, you know, it wasn't level always. But just a promoter putting a wrestler in a dangerous ring, that's a dangerous situation. Yep. And, and I can guarantee you, when we first started, before we got our good ring, we had that scenario come up a little bit, just where the ring wasn't a safe working environment. Well, you didn't have the money. You didn't have the money, probably, to, to get a, a credible, safe ring. And that was kind of, to your point about a ring, I remember in the old days of ECW, before it was extreme, you know, it was Eastern Championship Wrestling yes. with Todd Gordon and a guy by the name of Ted Petty. I don't know if you know Teddy, Cheetah Kid, he, he left, mm-hmm. you know, Rock or Rock, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. And, and he the rings, you know, and and Teddy was a a worker's worker, and we had this ring one night, we were on the outskirts of Philly somewhere, and the boards kept popping up, and it was driving Teddy nuts, he couldn't fix it, and all he kept saying is, man, this this, this is unsafe for the boys, and he kept apologizing, he felt horrible, and you know how it is, when you're a wrestler coming up, you just go out there and grind it out, and I remember I had to wrestle Jericho, and there was a spot in the match towards the end where I had him hit him with three German suplexes in a row. Right and <laughs> now this big ass board is popped up in the middle of the ring, and I'm like Chris. He's like, just do it, and oh my god, bless his heart. I don't know how he took those bumps. It hurt me giving those suplexes. So yeah, the ring definitely is a part of uh, uh, being a safe or unsafe work environment for sure. Yeah, I mean, especially you think back. There was one time. Uh, early in the days of Omega, actually before it was even dubbed Omega, there was one time where we uh, were having an issue with a turnbuckle, and there was a, a big guy that we had wrestling with who'd been around just a little bit, and uh, he hit the ropes very aggressive. He weighed about 310 pounds, and oh yeah, he got the, the good one where he hit the top rope, and the turnbuckle snapped, and he went flipping, <laughs> ass over tea kettle backwards. But, but, you know, looking back, man, when you're young, you have very little fear, and, and you're just kind of, you're willing to go, go, go. But now, that's one of the first things I think about, like, how's the ring? <laughs> you, you <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. It's, it's funny how you get older and your body gets hurt and banged up. That's one of your first concerns. Well, you're looking for every edge possible. And and, and, and so, so if you fast forward, like once all your success, all the years that you and Jeff had uh, together and separately in the WWE or WWF when you guys came in, <clears throat> you know, obviously the rings were good. But speaking of rings, you know, because you guys weren't giant guys like, you know, uh, like some of these other cats, neither was I. Man, did you find that that ring, when you debuted or started in WWE, was just gigantic? Yeah, it, it was gigantic, and it was also brutally hard. Because yes. When, when Jeff and I first started, we had the old school ring that they used back in the day, you know, in the late 80s, early yeah. 90s, whenever, you know, everyone was 350 pounds of gas to the gills. The Dom and Rocco, Rocco guys, all those guys. Yeah. It's, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, Jeff and I, every night, we were we were both diving off the top turn over the floor. Our finish was the splash, <laughs> leg drop off the top, and we were doing all kinds of, you know, all kinds of uh, high-risk things during every match. And, like, six months in, we're like, oh, my God, I think in two years we're not going to be able to walk. You know? <laughs> And fortunately, they changed that about a year in. But, you know, when we first got to that, you know, it, it's a huge difference. You know, and guys on the indies still don't understand it. And, and, I, and I really try and stress it to them. You know, if they're out and they work, you know, once a weekend or even twice a weekend. You know, if you work eight times a month, I, I feel like in, in some ways now I could do that until I die. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because, because there's a huge difference from doing that to working, you know, five, 
six days a week, you know, or doing ten days straight, as you know. Like once you're on that full time schedule, you're on that grind. It, it takes a toll on your body because there's no time to recuperate, no time to heal. Yeah, ice becomes your best friend in a hotel. It and, does. And people don't realize that what goes on after the show and how banged up guys are because of the grind. To your point, and you you, you know you lived it, I lived it, so we we got that. And, but but while you were in like all the TLC matches, all the matches that 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 the Hardys became known for, and the stuff with the Dudleys and Edging Christian, all that stuff. I mean, did did you ever feel like I mean, you know, and, and handle it any way you want the question, but I'm gonna ask it like were you ever put in danger? Was there ever did anyone ever say to you, Hey, you gotta go off a twenty foot ladder? I think I know the answer to this, but maybe fans don't, so why don't you answer it? Yeah, you know what? I'll be honest. In that scenario, I don't think they ever did put us in danger. Right. Uh, but because they were very open and they were concerned for us, and I think we were willing to do more than they were willing to even offer us to do as far as that goes. I think there is a situation where it can be dangerous if you're put in that environment and uh, and you're not healthy, you're hurt. And and one time I can think back, and, and we were all very mad and upset about it because we had a, uh, we had a killer cage match in – I want to say it was in Pittsburgh. It was a pay-per-view, Unforgiven. Jeff and I had won the titles from Edge and Christian. And the next night, we were all set. We were just supposed to do something in-ring, a quick in-ring promo or something to right. forward the angle. Uh, when we showed up that day, it was the day when uh, – I'm, I'm sure you were there. It was the day whenever uh, we switched from USA to TNN, yeah. which yep. was Spike TV. And and on that day, we came in, and we were all sore. We, we killed it the night before because we knew we had to eat. You know, we, we didn't have to wrestle the next two nights. And we walked in that day, and we had a, a – Two, two or three segment ladder match. Oh. And, 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 you know, everybody was sore, beat up. We'd really th- threw it all out there the night before, thrown it all out the night before. And, and everybody was like, well, you know what? It's a ladder match. We weren't prepared for this. We're hurt. We're beat up. And I remember they'd sent Pat Patterson out from the production meeting. They said, well, you guys don't have to have, like, the, the old ladder matches and TLC matches like you did in the past. You don't, yeah, but you don't there's, a level, to... there's a level that you guys drew yeah. that they don't understand that. Well, once you set a bar, there's yeah. no going back. And, and, and if you have a, a, bit of, a bit of a legacy, you know, especially from those matches we've done the, the last couple of years, like fans expect it. Yep. And then, then when you go out there and it looks like you're half-assing or you're lazy about it, then, then it reflects bad on you. And you look like either you're calling it in, like you're phoning it in, you're lazy, or you just don't give a shit anymore. And the fans are going to, there's going to be a huge repercussion from that and to put any talent in that position is a bad idea i agree wholeheartedly and and on the flip side with wwe i remember you know times where i was never put in those type i was not known as you know for those type matches but i remember there were things that vince mcmahon to his credit would get mad at guys if they went too far with things a lot of fans i don't think realized that you know he would i don't know how he is now i'm sure he's the same but it always seemed like um vince had people's bodies in their best interest. That's what it always seemed to me. You maybe could speak on it better because you were in much more high dangerous matches. Uh, you know, I you know, he used to get mad at me all the time because of the suplexes, and he was concerned that I was putting guys in danger and stuff. So I'm speaking kind of from the other end. You know what I mean? He used to get really hot at me, and I know one night I worked with Dave Heath, and I opened hand, you know, Gangrel for those yep. that don't know who Dave Heath is, and I, the, one of the greatest guys ever. And I slapped him in the face, you know, during a, a, te, a, a thing in the corner, and I I popped him in the ear accidentally and I broke his eardrum and it was like a you know I mean God, I thought Vince McMahon was going to fire me and just kill me because I, I it was an accident. I, Dave and I were friends, you know. But Vince seemed like he always was concerned about people's safety. He, he was and, and, I, and I totally uh, concur with you on that. I mean, th- there were 
every every TLC match we were in, whoever our producer or agent was, they would want to know, especially all the the big moments we had, and see what the the level of danger was in those things. And they would run it by Vince, and there would be sometimes where Vince would like not be okay with stuff. Uh, I, I'll, I'll give you a good example of something which I made the call for when Jeff and I had the I Quit match, and we had a, a a program in '09, I guess it was, and we did a thing where we went to WrestleMania. We had a, a like an Extreme Rules match where I beat Jeff, and then the following we uh, the following pay per view we had an I Quit match, and the the finish that we came up with was uh you know that he had tied me up, and I'm sitting there and I, I beg off like the cowardly hill. No, 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 please don't do this. Or our mom would be sad. She would <laughs> yeah, be upset. Yeah. I quit, Jeff. I quit. Don't come off the ladder. Please don't do it. And then he still is going to be like, you know, to hell with it and come off the ladder and, and hit me. But the way he had me tied down so tight, and, and it was my idea. It was my idea. The way he had me tied down so tight, like I was stuck where I was, and if mm. Jeff was off a little bit and, and caught me in a particular position, I couldn't really protect myself or brace myself, and they ended up breaking my hand. And I remember Vince was very hesitant to let us do it. Wow. And, and he gave us the green light eventually, but that was our idea. But it, it, if, it was, if it was up to him, we wouldn't have wouldn't done it. Wouldn't have done it, yeah. So, so I, I do agree with you. I mean, people think he is, you know, heartless or, you know, like that. I mean, he is very demanding to work for. There's no if oh. ands, buts about that. Oh, he's tough as hell to work for. You're but, only but, as good as your last match, and it, that's it, the bottom line. <laughs> exactly, and, and that is true. But when it comes to the actual in-ring safety of the guys, he, he does keep that in mind. And, totally. and, and he's not as, you know, he's not as demanding when it comes to that. He really, he, I think he does truly want to take care of the guys when he thinks about the guys doing something, uh, you know, outrageous or stupid, you know, when they're trying to, to raise the bar. Right, yeah, I think people, Vince has built a perception, which I think is good for his character, that he's a ruthless promoter, but he's mm-hmm. really not as ruthless. He's tough to work for, but he, you're never put in, in danger by, by Vince, for sure. Yeah, you, you, you know, especially even when you say that to a man, when he's tough to work for, I mean, you know how it is too. Vince, like, is, is a workaholic. He works nonstop. If, if he could do it, he would be up 24 hours a day. Amen. Without sleeping, without functioning, and he expects that of each one of his talents. I mean, he 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 almost lives life like a cyborg, like a robot. You know, and he he's that demanding, but. He does have a little bit of a streak uh, when it comes to like trying to protect his town from doing something dangerous when they're trying to give as much as they can. Yeah, I agree. Now, now I got to tell you, Matt, I apologize ahead of time. My producer, Seth, he's begging to ask you a question. He's driving me nuts here, writing me notes. Go ahead, Seth. Ask Matt the question. Get it. Hey, Matt, yeah, you were talking about working with your brother, WrestleMania 25. Was that a career highlight for you? I mean, what was it like working with your brother? I mean, you guys you know, obviously grew up together and worked in the, you know, came in the business together. What was that like on the biggest stage of all? Uh, it, it, it was a highlight, and, and, and the reason it was more than anything else, like, I don't think people have really ever dug, especially after they followed our story of Jeff and I being the two young guys from the middle of nowhere, Cameron, North Carolina, that had each other's back and, and got into the business and became a tag team and fought up the ranks and went from being complete job guys to becoming like stars on, on that same product. Yep. I, I think they always love seeing us have each other's back as opposed to fighting one another. And I thought that that feud was done really well, especially, you know, Matt being jealous of Jeff, Jeff being the more popular. I mean, I think people bought into that. I, I think they went too far when they said I burned his house down. I, I thought that was a little much and some of the viewers kind of kind of kind of lost the the belief in the angle at that time. But going to WrestleMania was something that we always talked about. You know, we wanted to be the tag team champions. We're like, "You know what, man? What if one day we got to wrestle one another at WrestleMania? That would be awesome." You know, and, and we got to do that. And and how many people get the opportunity to to actually to to live their their dream like that? So, it was a huge career highlight and to go out there and, and get to have some toys to play with, have an extreme rules match and get to do some unique stuff that had never been done at WrestleMania. It was really special for Yeah, me I think that right was now. smart booking. Good book. 
book, and I think fans really embraced it. I remember that. And, and God, I can just only imagine how many times you actually wrestled Jeff from since you guys were little. And uh, that definitely was probably the biggest stage, I would say, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Man. And, and, and you know what's funny is that, you know, I can kind of talk about Willow now because he's uh, fully known throughout the world. I loved Willow. The, I the, loved Willow. I'm serious. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a huge fan. I mean, the, the, that, was, that was our match on the loop here in, you know, in North Carolina, South Carolina, Virginia, Tennessee, West Virginia, you know, Matt Hardy and Willow made towns every weekend, and that we, we would get booked together to work one another. That's great. I love I love the, the Willow gimmick. For those that don't know, that's Jeff Hardy, Matt's brother, just painted up, and Jeff's, I guess you would say, how would you say it, Matt, Jeff's alter ego, for lack of a better, he's got a lot of them, though, but. but. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> he definitely does. It, it is, uh, you know, if you can imagine, Jeff Hardy is a mean, ruthless heel. That is entertaining. That is Willow. <laughs> that is in, definitely in Willow. Ways. He's very vicious. <laughs> yeah, he had uh, good success with that during TNA for sure. I remember calling a lot of those uh, Willow segments and matches with Mike today, which was a lot of fun. Now, back to the topic at hand. So, promoters putting wrestlers in danger. I, I got to tell you, you know, a lot of people, like for me, I, I remember they asked me stuff about when I was ECW, went through the ring with Bam Bam Bigelow. And, you know, and then we went through a stage. Uh, in Dayton, Ohio, both yep. were pay-per-views. Uh, again, it was Bam Bam again because we had to try to up. Paul Heyman was like, okay, we went through the ring. People went nuts. They shocked everyone in Asbury Park. Uh, now we got to try and up it. And I'm like, it wasn't Paul putting me in danger or Bam 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 in danger. It was just Paul trying to be creative. And Paul's big thing was like the first time when we went through the ring in Asbury Park, uh, he his concern was the trap door that we used and – he wanted to get the best guy to come in to 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 make the trapdoor. Now, something most people don't know. Matt, you might not know this. You were probably working for WWF at the time. And when we did that spot, me and Bigelow, do you remember it? Or I don't know if you saw it. Absolutely. I remember. I thought it was awesome. Okay. Both of them. Thank you. And and the one who built that freaking trapdoor was Richie Posner. You remember Richie Posner? Absolutely. Yeah, man. Magic. <laughs> so magic. That's right. So for those that don't know, Richie Posner was a special effects guy for WWF, WWE for many, many years. And all the cool stuff you've seen guys do, Richie was the brains behind it and executed everything. So uh, he, I, I, Paul Heyman got him through Chris Candido, God rest his soul. Chris was friends with Richie and said, Chris, I need to make a trap door for Taz and Big Law. I need a big-ass door. I don't want these guys getting hurt. They need to be safe. They need to be safe. I need to get the best guy. And Chris told him about Richie Posner. And Richie came in and did the door for the trap door for us and set the whole thing up because he lived in Jersey, and we were in Jersey, mm-hmm. and he was terrified that Vince would find out and fire him. <laughs> I never forget that. But but the key, the, the, back to the point, Heyman was really concerned, as was Bigelow and I, about the safety. My safety, because I was on top of Bigelow, put the chokehold on him, yeah. and Bam Bam was going to go through, and my head had to clear the top of the board, the, the wood, you know, the wood, uh, uh, to whatever, uh, plywood, the thick plywood. So we rehearsed that thing and had markers on the ropes and where we had to go. You know, ECW, we were not like a well-oiled machine, as you know. So, you know, it was kind of, we were just like throwing stuff against the wall. So, yeah. but it worked. And then we had to up it with the stage. Same thing with a trap door. But I have to say, I, I, I felt like I was in danger because I wanted that that angst. I wanted to do the spot. But Heyman was very concerned about our safety. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, that, that's a great, great point. Even, even thinking about that, like, and, and I know too, knowing you as a competitor and and the way you are, like, you knew that was going to be something that people would remember for the, for their entire life. Of course, you know, because it was such an amazing thing. So obviously, you want to do it, but you're keeping your fingers crossed. Like, oh my God, I want to be able to do this safely at least. Oh, my wife was not when she knew what we were going to do. She was not. She was not happy about it. <laughs> like, yeah, so no, I was going to get my head smashed in, you know. So, so, I, but you know. You said something there, like, uh, what a lot of people don't realize, too, like, what an in-ring competitor w- would do, it's right. always what's best for the show, right? It's always what's best for the pop, and that's kind of like the drug that we're all addicted to, you know? I mean, maybe explain that a little bit. It, it is. Uh, there, there is something about being a performer and being passionate about this and getting in your blood. You're willing to go out and, and do things that you know aren't good for you, that you know aren't something the human body should, should, should really be doing. But you do it because you know people will remember forever. And it's like everyone wants to, you know, be very passionate about what they're doing, and they want people to remember their legacy. They want to create those moments that wrestling fans will remember for a lifetime. They'll be talking about, you know, for the next week. They'll be talking about it to their friends and whatnot. I mean, one of the first things that stands out is Mick Foley being thrown off the Hell in a Cell, you know, through through the, the table. I mean, that was insane. There yep. was no way Nuts. you were, you were going to do that and not be extremely hurt. You know, after that, the choke slam and the cage door opened up and slammed in the ring. I mean, both of those things were suicidal. I mean, that is insanity to do that. But, you know, looking back, those things are, are, are what made Mick the icon he is now, you know? I agree. And speaking of crazy and insane, I mean, you know, you, you have done a lot of stuff yourself. I mean, what would you say the craziest thing that ever happened to you in a ring, you know, during a match or something that you've implied on someone or they've done to you in a match? I mean, uh, Take, take people behind the scenes with that in the world of Matt Hardy as a pro wrestler. The craziest or most dangerous or wildest thing you've done. Man, it, it, it's, it's, it's hard, right? Hard question, right? It, it, it is. There, there's a bunch of them. I mean, even thinking back, something that changed, changed me from doing the leg drop because I had so many issues with you know bone chips, bone spurs, and my hips and lower backs was the leg drop I did off the top of the cage to edge. And Unforgiven in 2005. That's yep. when uh, I went from doing the leg drop on a regular basis to doing the ho elbow to the back of the neck on a regular basis. Because <laughs> things just had to change, getting old and getting, getting beat up. That that was, that, I knew going into that that, that leg drop was going to hurt me, dropping down from so far onto that ring, especially trying to protect my opponent. Uh, and it did. There were also uh, so many moments that people have never seen. Like I remember, and, and, and we got this from ECW. Uh, there's no doubt about it. I'm sure we got it when you guys first did the flaming tables. Yep. I, I did a thing where a guy, uh, it was actually Jeff as Willow. He put me through two tables, and the one on the bottom was on fire. And this was in Silva in, in, a, in a venue that held probably seven or 800 people. And it was a big blow-off match we were having. It was insane thinking back that we did that. <laughs> you know, and I hit it and roll, and you, you smell the, 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 the smoke and the fire from burning hair and then trying to get off real quick. You know, and, and, and there's a ton of those things that, that we've done, and now more than ever, especially even looking back with the stuff we did together with the, you know, the, the series of the Wolves and the Full Metal Oh, with, with TNA, that, that, full, that stuff was amazing. That, that, that was great stuff. Yeah, I mean, that, that was one of those things. I really feel like, you know, the stuff that everybody did, with the exception of a couple things that Jeff did, uh, were very smart, calculated risks. <laughs> when Jeff had the table upside down and went through it, you know, we, we talked about that so long. You know, I was like, well, you have the legs here, you have the metal, this could hit you. And I said, you're not going to have poor going down. And after the match, Jeff said, I said, Jeff, how was that, man? He said, man, it killed me. He said, it was brutal. He said, because there was no support, nothing stopped me. He said, I'd had that move, I had that idea of doing a move 
going through a table with the table upside down. I've had that in my head for a long, long time. But don't worry. After the pain, I felt it's out of my head. It'll never be in again. <laughs> what? What? For your brother to say that, I got to tell you, it must have hurt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> I, I, I've always, like, as far as Jeff, like calling his matches as an announcer, and I've had the opportunity years ago to wrestle you guys too, but calling Jeff's matches, I've always tried to just plug in people's brains the resiliency of him because that's kind of what's his thing you know I always look yeah. and just because you're his brother and you guys love each other to death I mean I gotta tell you I, I you know I and one I'll have Jeff on here eventually but I'll, and I'll tell Jeff this also like I always like I'm not explain this and I mean this in a super positive way I've always looked at Jeff like he always just does something about his style that crash and burn Sabu like it always yeah. reminded me of like, th- there's just such a connection of Sabu's style and Jeff, where I think Jeff obviously became a much bigger star, we know that, and and uh, ascended to insane heights and has a bigger moveset, to be frank. Here I am burying Sabu, but what are you going to do? No, um, <laughs> no I'm being honest. I'm just being sincere. I absolutely agree. You see what I'm saying? You agree, right? Okay. Absolutely. Good. Yeah, I just... I, 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 now, <clears throat> what, like, when you guys, back in the day, when you guys were younger, so, like, when the whole Omega thing was happening... Like I'm trying to remember what like what year was that? Like where what was ECW doing that? I'm trying to see what the connection if there was a connection. No, there definitely was. <clears throat> we were inspired by a lot of the stuff at ECW. I mean, but you know, because because you guys at ECW were just doing things that were so cutting edge and so new and it was changing the business. I mean, ECW was so inspiring. I mean, it, it you know, it spawned the whole attitude there. I mean, you yeah. know, there, there, there's no doubt about it. I mean, that that came from oh, well, let's get a little controversial. Let's mix things up. Let's do this. Let's have these different styles of matches. <clears throat> and I remember the first time, you know, we, we saw Sabu. Even when he'd get part, Jeff and I were just talking about the other day. We wrestled the Young Bucks at the ECW Arena for for Dreamers House of Horror. Yeah, yes, had a, yes. Had a killer match on Saturday, and we were talking about afterwards that night when. Sabu would get frustrated in the match. He would jump through a table, moonsault through a table backwards about how crazy and how, like, oh, my God, how powerful that was to watch yep. performing like, something different. You know, but, 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 but things like that and just the, you know, just the, the adult and the edginess and, like, the violence. That, I mean, that just spawned a whole new era of wrestling. And yeah, it, we, it, we definitely utilized a lot of stuff, especially, like, the Rey Mysterio Psychosis, when they first came in, like, that was very inspiring. And that was also, uh, that, that contributed to some of our style at that time as well. Well, they took, and now, the psychosis and Mysterio took Lucha. It's almost like Lucha Extreme. They went to a different level of Lucha, you know, mm-hmm. and 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 they were kind of innovative in itself in regards to Lucha Libre and all that jazz. And and I got to tell you, like like with you, uh, your style and 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 Jeff's style. I mean, I, I felt like yeah, there was definitely you guys were inspired by maybe stuff you saw in ECW or Sabu or or Psychosis, like you said, or Mysterio. But you made it your own, which I think is a little bit of a lost art today with the younger talent. I think that they're so hell-bent on just copying stuff they know that worked. And it's not the guys that really make money, because that's what this crap is about, mm-hmm. as you know, bro. It's about making friggin' money, okay? Let's be honest. Don't Let's not be marks for ourselves. You want to make money. So, And the way you make money is to be different. Yeah, <laughs> take elements of what you've seen other guys do and make it your own. And that's what Matt Hardy's done and Jeff Hardy's done and individually or as a tag team, because I, I, you know, I don't think most people think of Whatever you just said, a, a, a Mysterio, a psychosis, or or a Sabu, for lack of better terms, I don't think they think of those guys when they see Matt Hardy wrestle or Jeff Hardy or when the Hardys wrestle together because you made stuff your own. Mm-hmm. And 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 I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think everyone when they start wrestling and they don't really know what they're doing when they're getting in this crazy, insane industry known as professional wrestling training or whatever. I think everyone in their mind 
looks back at someone that was their inspiration to be in the business. And that, that's where you first go. You first start emulating that. And, and you'll probably emulate a couple of people that you know that were your favorites. But the whole secret behind this is you got to take whatever it is you have and you have to find something of your own. You have to make it your own. You have to create your own identity. You have to learn who you are. You have to find out who you are on the inside and what comes off natural and what comes off as being real. You know, whenever you're in that ring. And, and, and everyone who starts, you can always see like a little flavor of probably who their favorite wrestler is. But, you know, the ones who are good and the ones who get it and, and know what they're doing here, then they, 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 they find a way to put their own stamp on their own persona and they become them, they become themselves their own entity, something new and original. Well, you hear that all the time. Like if you watch like the, the, the super successful show American Idol, right? So all the years they've had success, you'll hear a kid sing a song and you'll, you'll hear like one of the judges compliment the kid, put the kid over, say, hey, you know, you, you took whatever, this big famous song and you made it your own. It's the same thing in our mm-hmm. business. So, you know, I think that's something that, I think the younger generation of wrestler guys and girls need to do just to be original. And I know it's tough. It's very tough uh, to be original. But that's the creativity you have to bring if you want to be successful. So, you know, uh, and now now a quick little segue because you've done stuff outside of pro, the pro wrestling business. And in 2013, I believe, was you did a film, Pro Wrestlers vs. Zombie, and vs. Zombies, right, with uh, you, you and your real-life wife, uh, the beautiful Rebby Sky. And why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that, that was an interesting experience for sure. And uh, this came about through... Uh, Cody Knotts is the guy who does it. He uh, is friends with Shane Douglas, and we were doing some some work with these guys. And uh, Extreme Rising Promotion was kind of a, a, a spinoff from the original ECW. That was Shane, right? Shane Douglas's deal. He was doing correct. Yep. And uh, yeah. and we went in and did this, and, and Piper was was the lead in it. And and to be able to, I've got to know Roddy a little bit over the years, and that's that's a cool deal when you see someone that you you know grew up watching and you thought was very cool, and you also thought was like, oh my god, this guy's you know like one of the wrestlers I'd love to. Be like, and you kind of befriend him a little bit, and you kind of get to know him. But he was the lead in it, and just got to work with him in an acting environment. I'm no actor, you know. I, I would, I would love to to be an actor. It's it's a fun gig, and it's it's it, it was awesome just to be there in that scenario and see how Roddy, who has done a little more acting, you know, because wrestling is larger than life, and you have to play to the fan and the and the further show, and everything's exaggerated so much in wrestling. But you know, if you're doing a film or a movie or a TV show, you know, there's a, a, a mic right over your head, and you can, you right. can be subtle, you can calm it down. But just to, to have those, you know experiences and to learn that that was a lot of fun you know it's one of those things it's a very campy cheesy horror movie and 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 that's what you have to take it as if you watch it but just to have that experience of shooting that for three or four days and working with some guys that you know i i I really enjoyed hanging out with it was it was a very enjoyable experience and and so what's what's it like being married to someone like rebby sky i mean there are many men that are very envious of you obviously and uh and not only that she's tough as hell i mean so you you gotta stay in line there bro you know what i mean yeah oh i definitely do <laughs> Just like you said when you said uh, you know your wife was gonna it was gonna kill you if yeah. you got hurt in that in that deal. I mean that's exactly where mine is too. I mean I, I have a wife who's very very tough, and sometimes that's good for someone like me because I need someone to, to keep me in check or, or call me on my you know call me out if I need to be called out. But she is man. She she's great uh, and, and she's gorgeous and, and she's tough. I just have to watch that temper. She's Latin. She's Puerto Rican. <laughs> so believe, and she's from New York. On top of that, I know. <laughs> you know, she, she, she. I, I uh, you know, I do a Southern mosey. I take my time. I chill. Boom. She's New York man. Go, 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 go. <laughs> you know, and, and if there's anything that rubs her the wrong way, you will hear about it. She doesn't hold anything back. So that it's a, it's good for keeping a, an open line of communication. No doubt. Yeah. Well, that's great. You guys seem like you have a great relationship. So so congrats on that. You, you're both really strong, good people. So Thank how's you. your body doing, bro? How's your health feeling? How you feeling? 
It's okay, man. Uh, you know, especially I just try and really, uh, really pace myself. You know, with working, my my goal is to to never really wrestle more than once or twice a week. This past weekend, I, I had a, a kind of a, a super weekend. I ended up wrestling three times, couple three real big events, and a couple autograph signings. You know, I, I can tell you, I can I can feel my age whenever you know, like when we we did the tapings and we were in uh, in Bethlehem and yep. we did four days, and I had a mega show on that Saturday. Those five days, like I, I don't have those in me now. I can't do that every week. <laughs> I, I'll be in a wheelchair for sure. But you know, I I really if I pick my spots and then I have time to come home for five or six days and really take care of myself and, I, and I've, I, I'm doing a real good job of taking care of myself now and I'm just you know trying to evolve and, and, and adapt to, to being older especially from you know the whole uh, whole scenario of like what you have to do to be in the, the best possible shape you can be at that age and still compete on the same level and that's kind of what I'm I'm trying to find my way as right now. Well when you, when you train up to that point when you train when you're in the gym you obviously are lifting different than when you trained years ago you're probably doing a higher rep you're probably yeah. doing a bit more cardio, correct? Yeah, absolutely, man. The first thing I do, get up, I do cardio. Uh, you know, and then when I do go to the gym, I'll, I'll, I'll do one body part, and then I, I do a lot of reps, and I don't go heavy, and it's just, you know how it goes, man. Those joints, yep. once they start Forget about squeaking it. and crazy. Yeah, exactly. Forget <laughs> about it. It's just time It's time to maintain and just trying to like a good athlete. Those muscle days are over. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, God. I see kids, that my, my son's a high school athlete, you know, and, oh, and yeah. it, he's benching, you know, they Putting plates on a barbell, I'm like, what? I just walk. I'm like, no, no thanks. I'm done. Those days are gone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, isn't it, isn't it amazing to see that youth and machismo? Oh that God, I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, bro, uh, it, it's been great having you on here and giving that insight to um, uh, you know because of your history and your brother's history with promoters. Also, you as 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 a promoter yourself, and 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 you know, you, uh, as I said earlier, you, you got a great Twitter. I mean, fans, listen, those who are nice enough to download this. I appreciate it, but follow Matt Hardy because he'll interact with you, as will I, and he's at Matt Hardy Brand, and you also can go to shopmatthardy.com to get some of his swag, you know, and then his website is matthardybrand.com, so... Matt Hardy, you are a media mogul, my friend, besides a world-class competitor. I'm very impressed. Oh, well, thank you, Taz. It's very <laughs> cool, man. I've always enjoyed working with you and talking to you, and uh, I'm excited to see where this venture lands you, man, because you're always moving ahead as well, man. You're uh, you're ahead of the curve, so so I, I appreciate that. Oh, thanks, Matt. I appreciate that, brother. We've got to have you on again and get your wacky, nutty brother on here also, and your, nut, your nutty wife, too. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, brother. I'll see you, man. All right. Thanks, brother. So you think we do this show for free? No. Time to pay the bills. Boys and girls, pull up your stools. It is now time for Taz Tales. All right, so there was a crazy time uh, in my my years in ECW before we kind of hit on uh, pay-per-view, I should say. Um, So... It was a mid nineties, I guess, around nineteen ninety five ish, maybe ninety six. I don't know, probably ninety five, where WWE was kind of trying to get rolling better. Their business wasn't exactly doing great. Uh, I guess WCW was getting into the fold or whatever, and and all this stuff. I don't know the whole minutia with the whole thing, but so what happened was we were told a few of us by Paul Heyman, "Hey, um, we got to take a trip to Philadelphia." So, okay, we always go to Philadelphia. We're doing a show. He goes, no, we're not doing a show. Wear street clothes. Um, we're taking two cars. We're going to, the guys from the New York, New Jersey area, I guess we met, we met I believe we met somewhere off of the uh, 
I think it was somewhere off the New Jersey Turnpike. I can't remember the details. We meet somewhere near the arena there in Philadelphia on a Sunday afternoon. There's a couple of days that this happened. So it was like a, it, what we learned was it was going to be a real ECW invasion of the WWF at the time. This was not the invasion angle. This was years before. So there was a pay-per-view called In Your House. They used to do them all the time, the WWF. And in one of the earlier matches in the card, it was going to be JBL, who wasn't JBL then. He was probably just Bradshaw. I don't remember his name. Against Savio Vega. And Tommy Dreamer and the Sandman were going to sit in the front row drinking beers. And when JBL, uh, Bradshaw, came near that guardrail, Sandman and Dreamer were going to you know, pour beer on this guy's head. And he's not going to know about it. So we were never in a locker room. We were never, never interacted with anyone from WWF office or WWF wrestlers. We stayed in the parking lot. We had a pass or tickets or whatever we had. And for those of you that saw this on TV or saw it on YouTube or whatever, <clears throat> you might be saying, well, Taz, I didn't see you there. What, what were you doing there? I saw Dreamer sitting in the front row, and I saw uh, Tommy. I'm sorry. I saw Sandman sitting in the front row. Well, I was there. Perry Saturn was there. John, John Cronus was there. Jeez, uh, Raven was there. There was a bunch of us there. We were all sprinkled throughout the arena. This is what people don't know. In case the WWF locker room cleared out and started beating up our guys, we were going to come through the crowd and fight them. That's all legit. <laughs> That's how crazy this thing was. Uh, their wrestlers, the, the people behind the scenes at WWF apparently did not know what these these events that we what we were going to do. Unbeknownst to us, Paul Heyman was working out something with WWF to do a cross promotion thing to create some buzz for WWF and for us ECW to help promote Barely Legal, our first ever pay per view, which was going to be in 1996 in April. So. We were doing a bunch of different stories of events or cases of events to create buzz about this thing called Extreme Championship Wrestling. So that was the first night. This happened. Uh, security went nuts. Uh, no one knew what was going to happen. Sandman and Dreamer uh, escaped out of it and never went over the guardrail. We didn't have to get involved. Their locker room didn't empty, but I heard there were guys waiting by the entranceway ready to kill those guys. Because they knew who they were. Um, <laughs> the next day, you know, we stayed at a hotel somewhere. All of us spread out. <clears throat> we met at a Bob Evans. For those that don't know, Bob Evans is like a restaurant, like a um, like a Shoney's, like that type of a you know mid level, low level type of family restaurant that maybe has biscuits and gravies. But I digress. So uh, <laughs> we meet at a Bob Evans somewhere near Hershey, Pennsylvania, because Raw. It was in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And now Paul tells me, you're going to come through the crowd with a giant sign that says, Sabu Fears Taz. And you're going to do this during a tag team match live on Raw, where I think it was Chris Candido and Tom Pritchett, who at the time happened to be two close personal friends of mine, part of my line, but two friends of mine. And I, I just can't recall who they were going to wrestle. I believe one of the guys was... I don't know who it was. It might have been Davy Boy Smith. I, I can't remember. But 
I was very upset because we're at this Bob Evans, and I wanted to know if those guys in the match knew that I was coming out in the crowd with this sign to distract them. And um, Paul goes, no, uh, but I'm going to talk to Bruce Pritchett in a little bit here on the phone. Now he goes to the pay phone, no cell phone. He goes to the pay phone at the Bob Evans. We're all kind of hanging around, milling around the parking lot, waiting to get our marching orders. This is like true espionage stuff, like SWAT team stuff, like uh, Mach 7, whatever. I'm not a military guy, so I'm sorry for all those Navy SEALs out there. But, you know, whatever Navy SEALs would do, like we were doing. So, uh, except not under the water. We were like on top of the water. So it was like, uh, you know, above sea level. So, uh, you know, in Pennsylvania. So, so uh, Paul's on the phone, on the pay phone at the Bob Evans, which is funny itself, with Bruce Pritchett and... Bruce goes, no, tell Taz we can't let these guys know. He's going to have to just come out. And I was pissed because I didn't want those guys to think I was being disrespectful towards their match. That really bothered me, you know. And ends up being they, they weren't told, I guess. Um, I come through the crowd, and I was told to go over the guardrail. And had Bill Alfonso with me, and I think Team Taz might have been with me if I recall. And we go over the guardrail, and it's mayhem. Jerry Lawler gets up. He tries to suck a punch me. I'm trying to punch him. Uh, people are yelling and cursing. Lawler, uh, not Lawler, I'm sorry. When I initially went over to Gabriel, I back up. If you watch it, I think it was a guy named Mark Yeaton who kind of controlled um, the ringside area, and he was the bell keeper, the timekeeper. He was communication to the truck. Uh, I didn't know him at the time. Uh, he tried to stop me. I got him out of the way. And then another guy, their doctor, not a doctor, one of their photographers, I think it was, Tried to tried to stop me, and uh, well, that really uh, didn't go well because I threw him into a um, <laughs> into a guardrail, I believe, and he got banged up, broke his shoulder, whatever the heck happened to something like that. I just chucked him, and then security tried to get in my way. The guys in the ring were yelling at me. Candido's like, "Bro, what are you doing?" I mean, like me and Chris were friends. Like he's like, "What the hell's wrong with you?" and uh, and then Jerry Lawler tries to sucker punch me, and I'm trying to punch him back. Uh, it was complete mayhem. Legit punches? Uh, legit punches, yeah. So, uh, I mean, yeah. Well, they didn't know. They thought that we truly were invading it. They did the right thing, you know? Uh, comes to find out later on, I think that some of them were queued in right before this all happened. Uh, but last-minute stuff, you know, which makes you even madder as a performer. Um, so it was a very crazy time, you know, because it was legitimate interference on stuff which led to uh it was very exciting by the way it was exciting to be just rallied up in a parking lot it was like team with my team my ecw team and then uh with our head coach paul Heyman, we were all we bought in you know a bunch of mocks we just <laughs> we just bought in to be honest uh but it was good for business and it was good for wwf's business it was good for our business it ended up uh kind of seg segueing to us having a series of matches at the Manhattan Center, uh, ECW guys getting involved with Monday Night Raw because it was a good angle they built where, I'm paraphrasing, but Vince McMahon basically said, hey, you know what, Paul Heyman, you want to bring your ECW, you want to invade us, or you want to whatever, uh, you want to uh, interrupt our show, then we'll invite you. Come to the Manhattan Center. I, I don't remember the logistics, but that's kind of was the, 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 the gist. And then we go to Manhattan Center and... They put us, they like quarantined us like in a separate locker room area. Like we didn't, we weren't allowed to be in the same locker room with everybody else. And I remember um, we walked in as a, as a unit, all of us together. 
and we all had these black and red sweatsuits on, these Adidas sweatsuits with a big ECW logo on the back and an ECW logo on the left chest and on the right chest, your gimmick name embroidered on it. And we all had those. Walked in together with them on. We all had red and black ones. And Paul Heyman had a solid black one on. And Vince McMahon goes, oh, my God, I love this. The way you guys walked in, whose idea was this? And Paul said, well, it was Taz's idea. He, he designed the sweatsuits and ordered them, and, and all the guys got them. And, and it's more of a – because my idea was there were no companies here in the United States with, with the way Japan, the way the, the Japanese promotions or the Japanese wrestlers would wear this company sweatsuit like a team unit. And I felt like if we were coming into the WWF world, we should come in like a unit, like a team. So we wore our sweatsuits. Because we had the sweatsuits before we even knew we were doing anything with WWF. It was just the thing we did. It was my Yeah, I just I was always an athlete. I was this team guy, football guy. And I just thought it was cool. And I told the guys. And they were like, yeah, I'm in. Get, you know, I'll get one. I'll get one. I'll get one. You know, so... Uh, you know, whatever it costs, I was like, yeah, whatever the hell it is, and and you, I'll order them, I'll, I'll design them, and I know a guy that can get them for us, and uh, you know, I brought some sample sizes in, guys, tried them on, is what size you want, and the rest is history. So we walked into the Manhattan Center, all the guys wearing these sweatsuits, and Vince McMahon thought it was like the greatest idea ever. You know, uh, basically, I just took the concept from what Japan does. You know, so. But anyway, uh, uh, you know, it was interesting. I felt like when we did the, sh- the, the, the matches for Raw uh, at the Manhattan Center, I don't feel like, you know, uh, I think that, that ECW was kind of shunned a little bit and you could hear it in the commentary announcing and we were kind of looked at as like a bunch of jabronis and that's how we were treated, but which was perfect for our gimmick because it, it got the fan base to embrace us even more. Because the arrogance that we were surrounded around, and we were the blue-collar guys, I think that the fan base embraced that. So it, it kind of worked out perfectly. So that's basically what happened, man. It was, uh, it was a crazy time. You know, it was, it, was, uh, it was nuts. I felt like I was like a detective or like a SWAT guy or like a Navy SEAL. So you didn't wrestle any WWE guys at the time? Uh, I didn't. I wrestled Mikey Whipwreck, Mikey Whipwreck um, live on Raw. And I remember during the match, they had the APA. I'm uh, not APA, I'm sorry. Um, Ron Simmons uh, was a dear friend of mine. Ron Simmons and uh, the Nation of Domination. I couldn't remember the name of his crew. The Nation of Domination, uh, they cut in uh, during our match. Like they did, like it's called Box and Box. So where the match is going on, and like, let's go backstage and see what the Nation of Domination has to say about whatever, the Road Warriors, whatever. It was nothing to do with my match with Mikey. And now you got the Nation of Domination talking in a boxing box while I'm doing my whole spiel in the ring, and it's completely being blown off. When that's done production-wise, that means that you're kind of just pooping on the live action. And did this angle lead into your matches, or uh, not your matches, but uh, Jerry Lawler coming over at ECW too? Of course, yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what happened. And it kind of, we created a thing where I think Sabu, Van Dam, and you know, they... Uh, I remember the guy Brackus came over from, from a big bodybuilder from WW or the World Bodybuilding Federation and WWF thing. So kind of and then uh, like a faction kind of started a heel faction ECW, and then Lawler came in and it was like a whole big thing in a cage. Yeah, it, it all segued to that. It was good business. And did you, you talked about Lawler trying to sucker punch you and you try to hit him back. Did you guys ever talk about that after the fact? Yeah, we did. It was cool because he he was like I was just trying to do you know I didn't I I you know I had to do what I had to do. I thought you were jumping a guardrail and. You know, I knew who you were, and I, you know, 
yeah, he should because I wrestled for him in Memphis, you know. <laughs> so, but no, we we knew each other, but he he had to do what he had to do, and we kind of laughed about it later on, years later. And I wasn't mad about it, and and I, he had to do what he had to do. I would do the same thing as a color commentator, you know. Right now, I would do the exact same thing. So, but it was a fun time. I got to tell you, it was a very fun time. It was an interesting time. Uh, the real the story of the real ECW invasion angle. We'll be right back with the warm, cuddly, fuzzy Taz. The Human Podcast Machine. Okay, the match is over. Thank you for downloading or subscribing to this particular episode of the Human Podcast Machine. I truly appreciate it, and I want to especially thank Matt Hardy for being a great guest bringing us into the world of Matt Hardy brand. Uh, I mean, definitely a great guest. I mean, totally down with it. V1, the whole thing. V1! Creatures! That's his brother. But anyway, thanks to Matt Hardy. It was a great guest. No doubt, no doubt, no doubt. And uh, make sure you tell your friends and family, anybody who's a wrestling fan or not a wrestling fan, about what I'm doing out here. Taz, the human podcast machine on Play It. Check out some of the other shows we have here on Play It. Uh, or check them out on Radio.com. Or you can go to iTunes. But we got some really good uh, original programming from Play It. Some really good shows. And you should check them out. Um, a lot of people working real hard behind the scenes to get this thing rocking and rolling. It's going great so far. Uh, also, lastly, lastly, I would like to promote who my next guest is on next week edition of the Human Podcast Machine, and it is the leader of the Beatdown Clan, the BDC, 305 himself, Mr. Miami himself, MVP, will be very candid and will be on here with yours truly, Taz. That is next week on the Human Podcast Machine. So I want to thank you. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for support on Twitter. I'll talk to you next week. I'm Taz. You're not. You're not.